Amen, amen. Um, so uh, this morning, as we continue back in Matthew chapter 5, um, obviously you can maybe see on the screen there, lust, adultery, and divorce, right? Probably what you, exactly you were thinking um, for your first live stream in your homes. Um, just as I kind of, uh, we get started, um, listen, uh, th- this is an intense topic, but my plan is not to be um, overly um, communicating that, and so I'll do my best to be as PG as I can, and um, and so just kind of maybe that that preface there to moms and dads but why are we in Matthew 5 right and so that kind of just helps you recognize um as just wrestling in prayer last um last summer even in the last fall and just felt like man God was leading us to to, to preach to the book of Matthew as we finished our our study through the book of Isaiah and so uh, we began there in December and um and now here we are in the midst of a coronavirus and a worldwide pandemic and um what I would say beloved to us is that our God is sovereign and that he knew last summer, last fall, as he was moving to, to preach Matthew, he knew exactly where we would come to. And so we trust in that. We rest in that. And so I, maybe just as a reminder, as we continue to work through Matthew 5, it's a reminder to you that God is in control and that he sees all, trusts all. And so I, I want to compel you just to keep being faithful, keep looking to him. And so and we're going to pick up again our study of Matthew, Matthew 5 today, 27 through 32, dealing with lust, adultery, and divorce. Um, it, the year was 1808. It was the Slave's Bible. The Slave's Bible was developed by white men um, who wanted to oppress our African brothers and sisters and others and rule over them just because of the color of skin. I don't know if you know this, but the Slave's Bible, about 90% of the Old Testament is missing, and about 50% of the New Testament is not, New Testament is not present. In fact, if you picked up your normal Bible, you're going to see that it has roughly about 2,000 chapters. The Slaves Bible only contained 232 chapters. Text like Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says, There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For it says, You are all one in Christ Jesus. Texts like that were gone, taken out of the Slaves Bible. The Slaves Bible doesn't include the story of Moses leading the Israelite people out of slavery into freedom. But interestingly enough, it does have the story of Joseph being in slavery. Seeing this should ultimately break our hearts. Why? Because we need to call this what it is. It's sin. Racism and its manifestations are ultimately sin. I also hope and pray that that you see in the midst of sharing the story about the Slaves Bible how sin can blind us, that we begin to do whatever we want to to affirm our way of life. And while you may be shocked hearing that this was actually a Bible that was being shared, it's true nonetheless. I think it relates to us today as we come to this text because we all come to the parts of the Bible that collide with our lives. And we're tempted maybe to disregard those or decisively rebel or find a way just to reject that truth. And try to justify our own rebellion. We're tempted to cut them out. Remove those texts from scripture. Right. And not pay any attention to it. And most of us listen as good Baptists. We're not taking today and ripping these scriptures out of them. And throwing them away. But nonetheless when we hear a word like this today. That is hard for us. We may find ourselves closing our ears. Or closing our hearts. Or growing angry toward anyone. Even God himself that would speak words like this. When it comes to lust and adultery. I think that maybe we gravitate toward one of two poles. It's a generalization, but some of us may just think, what's the big deal? Like, everybody struggles with that, and this is why the Bible is so out of date, like it doesn't understand our culture. Others of you may find yourself maybe on the opposite side. You've got the score sheet at home, and when it comes to adultery or divorce, you think you're good because of how good your track record is in marriage or whatever it's been. 
Yet in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to see that Jesus reveals that sex and intimacy is something way more than just our bodies. Physical purity matters because it involves my soul. Physical purity matters because it involves my soul. It reveals outwardly what's ultimately happening inwardly. And so today we're going to do our best to walk through Jesus' words here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. The first is this, this call for righteousness and how we measure ourselves. And so let's begin today looking now here at Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. The call for righteousness and how we measure ourselves. If you remember back a few weeks ago as we started here in Matthew 5, we said that verse 20 of Matthew 5 was really the launch pad of the remainder of the chapter of Matthew, of Matthew chapter 5. And it kind of sets the course of all of Jesus' response to this. And so again, I want to highlight that statement, verse 20 of Matthew 5. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is talking again about righteousness, the need for it to exceed specifically that of the scribes and Pharisees. Why? Because this is about entering the kingdom of heaven. It's important that our righteousness, again, exceeds a certain group of people. But the problem is for those people in that day and time, the, the, the scribes and Pharisees appear as the most righteous people on the face of the earth. And so the question would naturally have to come out as I mean, the response to Matthew 5 and 20 is, who can do that? Who can live in that kind of righteousness? If that's the case, then maybe nobody could ever enter the kingdom. But yet Jesus is going to provide for us hope. And and again, it kind of rests in the fact that we're poor in spirit. And we realize that we can't meet the the call of this text in and of ourselves. We're dependent upon Christ's forgiveness on the cross, but the spirit to indwell us. But it's this moment in which Jesus begins to teach on things to tell us what does it look like for our righteousness to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. And we heard a few weeks ago there as he talked about the fact that anger was in God's sight like murder. And it brings us into judgment. Even though it's something happening inwardly, God has seen our hearts. So it is now as Jesus continues his teaching here in Matthew chapter 5. Listen to what he says beginning in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery now the religious leaders hear this right and they think they're good right and maybe you feel that way at home like hey that's the seventh commandment uh, dude i've not done that i'm good in fact that the penalty for breaking this commandment according to leviticus chapter 20 verse 10 is the death of that man and that woman so again these folks think listen as long as i measure by my standard and my standard is i haven't broke the seventh commandment then that means i'm good Similarly, others hear and they come to this text here in Matthew 5, verse 31. And Jesus says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. The culture of of that day was that Moses had said, hey, listen, guys, you are to give a certificate of divorce. And so it would work at something like this, that the man would decide that he's going to divorce his wife for whatever reason he had deemed necessary. And now he finds a couple witnesses that come and, and he gives her a public certificate of divorce. And you'd say, well, why is he giving her that certificate of divorce? And here's the reason. Because now when she's found with another man, instead of them they coming to bring her to stone her, right, because she's committing adultery, she has this certificate of divorce to help provide protection, right? Because in that culture, often the women were not, oppre- not protected. They were often oppressed. So this certificate of divorce was a way in which God helped provide protection and also giving way, as Jesus talks in Matthew 19, to the hardness of the heart. 
Um, listen, many of us, though, we, maybe for those folks as well, they think they're good as, as long as they did what the law required. Hey, listen, I divorced her. I gave a certificate of divorce. I'm good. And that's the issue. We think that we're good because we measure outwardly using our own grading system. Some of you think that this text, that you're fit for God's kingdom because, you again, you've never committed adultery or you haven't either been in a divorce or haven't divorced in a wrong way or whatever you interpret. But the things, the reality is, is it's not always what's seen outwardly, guys. This story might help. So one of my buddies, he got, um, he got involved uh, helping out um, with a, a local lawn service. And so he was mowing. And, man, if you, if you stood off at his distance, you would see him zipping and zooming across that yard. And, man, he was just tearing it up. And, and then if you get closer, you realize that there's an issue Although he's zipping and zooming across the yard, he's failed to engage the blade. You see, like from the outside, at a distance, it looks like he's got it all together. But when you get close, you realize, man, he's actually failing. See, the problem with our measuring stick is, is that we often get it wrong because we're always trying to measure outwardly. And now Jesus is going to do what he's done a couple weeks ago. He's going to fillet open this text and show our hearts. And this call, listen, the second point, the call for righteousness, it's inward, beloved, and it's steep. This is not like a low bar that Jesus sets. I mean, he he takes their view of, of lust and he takes their view on divorce and Jesus just sets it so high. Listen to what happens here as he call for righteousness is both inward and steep. Back to verse 27 of Matthew 5. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In one swift motion, Jesus like takes uh, the measuring stick that we use and does a Bo Jackson like, bam, right? I don't know, I don't know about you, but Bo Jackson was my all time favorite. And so um, as, as a baseball player, and so I'd be out in the yard and I was always imagining I was Bo and I would take uh, a bat. I would love to say it was a wooden bat, but it was a wiffle ball bat and I would try and it would not even bend, right? I was nothing like Bo knows and Blake doesn't know what Bo knows, right? But listen, the truth is God's word comes and man, we try to snap it, right? But the reality is God takes our little rules, how we box everything in and snaps it. He, he pierces by his word. It's like a sword that pierces into our heart, into our soul. Listen, now you hear this text and it says that this, this one looks at a woman. Does that mean that he's only talking about men? Absolutely not. Obviously, women can lust after men as well. This text speaks to us all. Notice what he says here. There's a in, lustful intent that's happening. The Christian standard just simply says that he's He's lustfully, the, the new, the net Bible indicates that he is desiring her, right? It's possible, right? To, again, when we kind of understand what's Jesus in, alluding to here, what's he commenting about when he says lustful intent? Um, again, he's, he's trying to start to show us in a moment that the ultimate, this is looking to the heart. There's something happening deeper. Now, listen, guys, that doesn't mean that you can't see someone and find them attractive for a moment. But the, the reality is it's where does your heart go? Right. Like, I mean, you see them and man, you think that like 
You like what you see, and so you just keep looking, or your mind starts to go places that it should. And, and listen, beloved, we've got to learn as believers to see other things that find us, the people that we find attractive that are not our spouse, and immediately look away. When we see that billboard, right, there's times I'm just driving down the road, and I see a billboard, and I'm just gotta, man, I almost gotta do like this, just keep my eye on the road, but try to block that bad boy out. Or, man, there's just moments when commercials or things come on TV, and might just say, heads down, and the boys just know, heads down. Like, it just doesn't honor and glorify the Lord in those commercials. But look at the progression of what Jesus is saying. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her. Look what he says here. In the heart. So it begins with the eyes, right? I mean, he looks and, and then it begins to something starting to take place in his heart. And listen, guys, I mean, you may have heard the mantra, look, but don't what? Don't touch, Right? You might have heard somebody tell you before, you can look at the menu, you just can't buy. But that mentality, listen, that expresses perfectly what the Pharisees and scribes thought. You're good as long as you keep it outward. Yet Jesus says that when it comes to lust and our sin, it's never just outward. Righteousness, beloved, is not only what we touch, but what we think and what we desire. Righteousness, again, it's not only what we touch. It's what we think. It's what we desire. Let's be honest. The eyes looking are often the result of a heart that's looking, though. Let, let me just, let's just own up to it. The fact is our eyes are often the reflection of a roaring lion that's inside wanting to be fed, maybe by the next swipe of a screen or the next click on your television. There's just a longing, a desire for it. Again, the call for righteousness, it's inward and it's steep. Look further with me, though, back into verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her, with her in his heart. Everyone. There's no, like, exception clause. There's no get-out-of-jail-free. Listen, this applies to preachers and presidents, to old men and young men, to wives and teenage girls. No one gets a pass from Almighty God when it comes to the, uh, the issue of sin in our heart. In fact, parents, you need to consider right now the audience that's with you in the living room. And I'm going to share a few statistics. And maybe if you've got a younger audience, I, again, I'm trying to be as PG as I can in this. But Christian speaker Josh McDowell just share some statistics I think that are important for us to realize as parents, as families, as people in a culture that's bombarded by lust and this desire to be satisfied. He says that the average age of first exposure to pornography is 11. That's the average age. Teens and young adults consider not recycling more immoral than looking at pornography. 66% of teens and young adults have received a sexually explicit image and 41% have sent one. 21% of youth pastors and 14% of pastors confess that they are currently struggling with pornography. And again, some of you kiddos, you, again, you just maybe you know that there's just things at times, you see things that you realize, ah, that's not right, I shouldn't have seen that. Right, So you, you may have just had little commercials or things that just kind of felt wrong or you were on an iPad or something you were watching a video and it popped up. Right, So we all in our own ways contextualizing this know that we've seen things that don't honor God. I encourage you kiddos, instead of hiding that, talk to mom and dad about it. Don't hide that. Go and share. So listen guys, you see these statistics. It's real. This is not going away. And with everybody, listen, being at home right now, there's just more and more screen time. 
There's just more and more screen time here on the, on the television and the things that we're watching, the things that we're streaming. Listen, though. Listen to how, how intense this is. Jesus says again that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Did you hear that? They has already committed adultery. I told you the call for righteousness is inward and it is deep. They've already committed adultery. No, not outwardly, but it's taken place inwardly. Again, some of you came into this thinking you were good because you haven't been with someone that isn't your spouse. But Jesus says that many of us are guilty. We are guilty, yeah. I mean, you, you hung out and as, as a husband, listen, you were hanging out in Walmart's parking lot wet, letting your wife shop and do, and she got back in and guess what? I mean, in essence, no, you haven't been with anybody else, but man, you followed that honey all the way down the aisle back to her car. Brother, you and me are guilty. We've already committed adultery with them in our hearts. I don't know about you, but I mean, do you see how you might want to take this text right here and just tear this out and throw it away? Like, dude, that's hard. Like, who can live like this? Similarly, when it comes to divorce, a lot of people think they're justified and they're irreconcilable, irreconcilable differences. But listen to what Jesus says. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. They thought they were good, again, because they've given that certificate of paper, right? That piece of paper. They think, man, I'm good. I've done it right. But Jesus calls the, he sets the bar so high. He says, guys, there's so much more than this. In fact, he says that everyone, again, there's that statement, everyone, not, there's no one that escapes this. Everyone who divorces his wife, listen to what he says here. There is an exception, except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Notice the difference then causes the woman and the person who marries her to commit adultery. And you might be saying, well, what about the man? Does that mean he's okay? No, it's, 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 it's implied here, but not directly stated. But if you look at Luke 16, 18, Jesus himself says, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. So the man's a guilty as well. Notice what he says, though, again, this exception. And we've got to pause here just for a moment. And, and Lord willing, if we come to Matthew 19 in weeks or months to come, then we're going to deal with this in, in maybe a more deep um, or, or maybe just a different angle. So, again, I can't say everything there is to say about it, but I'm going to do my best to give you at least a little brief clarity on what's Jesus saying here. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. we got to ask, why would Jesus say this? Well, because what you have to understand is, is a marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman. And, and it says, listen, the two are becoming one flesh. But there's something so drastic that happens when there's sexual immorality. There's, there's, there's this... There's, sense in which it could potentially kill the covenant where it can't be restored now listen this doesn't mean that you have to divorce because your spouse has been unfaithful in fact i want you to know today that i have seen some of the most beautiful mercy and grace and love and forgiveness from couples who have gone through such hardship in this area and they have shown such lavish forgiveness and love and grace so i want you to hear it is possible to forgive it is possible for god to bring healing it is 
possible that you could trust them again? Listen, it is possible. But again, nonetheless, Jesus is saying there is an exception on the ground of sexual immorality. Yet at the same time, listen, we, we acknowledge as Jesus speaks of this exception, we may ask, well, are there other exceptions in the Bible? And 1 Corinthians 7 is one where Paul talks to the church and he says, listen, in the church there were all these new believers that were coming to faith and now they're married to unbelievers. And, and Paul says, listen, if you're married to an unbeliever, you need to remain in that relationship. But there may be a sense in which the unbeliever says, if that's who you are in Christ, then I'm out of here. And it says that in that case that the believer is not bound. And we might ask other exceptions. And again, we could make our list on and on. And, and one that always gets brought up is abuse. And guys, clearly that person you need, right? You or your children, you need protection. You need to get out immediately. This is not advocating to stay in there and be abused. A space of separation is likely going to be in order to give that spouse an opportunity to repent and get right with the Lord. But the big point here is that marriage in God's eyes is serious. Two people are becoming one. God's view of marriage is until death do you part. Marriage should not be taken lightly and divorce should be as radical as amputation. Pastor Tim Keller says that amputation is necessary at times, but any doctor would be run out of his practice practice if he routinely kept saying, let's just amputate it, right? Ingrown hair, amputate it. Sprained ankle, amputate it. Divorce like amputation is the last thing you do. And Jesus says here, it only comes on the exception of sexual immorality. You see why I started out with our desire to want to cut portions like this out of Scripture? I mean, this text will, will wreck us, guys. And if purity is a heart issue and only as according to Matthew 5 and 8, the pure in heart will see God, then we need to all ask today in light of this text, no matter how you think you measure up, you need to ask, will you be able to see God because of your sin? So let's look at it. The pure in heart shall see God. I mean, can you imagine? Just for a moment. I mean, again, Matthew 5 through 7 records this unbelievable sermon of Jesus on this mountainside. It's been called the Sermon on the Mount. But can you imagine being there that day? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd be wanting to find some rocks to like try to hide behind. I mean, listen, that's not all bad, though. I mean, because you hear this and you think I'm done. And listen, I'll be honest with you. You are and so am I. Like, I hear this text and I see this and I start thinking about, man, all of my shame from my past life. And it causes me to come and cry out, God, purify my heart, God, transform me. Why? Because, again, Jesus began the sermon, Matthew 5 and 8, saying, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And listen, the only way to have your heart purified is not by like doing enough good stuff. The only way to do that, according to Ezekiel 36 in the Old Testament, verse 26 and 27, is God said there was going to come a day when I was going to remove that heart of stone. But I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. A heart, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, about us becoming this new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. He says when we receive this new heart and ultimately seeing to the Spirit of God coming and dwell us, he says that you'll now long and desire to obey God from your heart. It's a total transformation. But how does this come to us? Actually, one of the stories of lust, adultery, and murder in the Old Testament give us a real clear example of how God rescues us from this. It's one of the most familiar stories. It's the story of David and Bathsheba. Second Samuel chapter 11 and 12 kind of unfold the story. The story for us. 
um, again, trying to keep PG for the kiddos, but um, David sees this beautiful woman bathing across the rooftop, and he calls her to come, and he finds out that she's actually married to a man by the name of Uriah, who's a soldier, and he's off at war, and David and her, um, they, they come together, and and listen, soon she becomes pregnant, and David starts thinking, how am I going to cover this up? And so ultimately he has her husband, Uriah, killed. This unbelievable moment of lust, adultery, and murder. David spends a long period of time trying to just keep this covered up from everybody. But Psalm 51, you just need to read it maybe today, where he just begins to cry out, God created within me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Like, God, could you forgive somebody like me? Like, some of you are wondering that. You hear this text today, and you, maybe you're like me, you just got a past when it comes to lust that you've just totally wrecked it. And you just wonder, man, could God love somebody like me? Right? I mean, it's just, again, David comes clean in Psalm 51, and then we hear this in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. David says to Nathan, Nathan's a prophet, God's messenger. He says, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan says to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You will not die. This is an unbelievable moment of mercy and grace that we need just for a moment just to to go after. Right again, if the pure in heart shall see God and we all acknowledge today that we're not pure in heart, then we need to know, is there hope for me? Is there hope for you? Listen to what he says. The Lord has, look what God's, God's done something. He has put away your sin. So we need to ask, like, I mean, this doesn't appear, appear fair to even Uriah. Like, God allows you, somebody like Uriah to die, and like somebody slept with his wife, and now he's been killed, and God's just okay with that? Listen, when God says, when, when Nathan says that God's put away sin, it's not pretending that it didn't happen. He doesn't excuse this and say, oh, it's not a big deal that Blake struggled with lust, or he did this or that, right? Or maybe you've got this on your resume. No, God says it's so serious. He deals with this so drastically. Look what Paul says in Romans 3. Verse 23 is on the screen, but it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And look what he says here. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption. Look what happens here. That is in Christ Jesus. Whom? Look what God does. God does something. The Lord up here did something. Now God's going to do something. Look what He does. He put forward. As a propitiation, that word indicates that God is angry and upset with sin. He doesn't just wink at it or did it like it didn't happen. He is a holy God. And so God's judgment, His wrath, His anger towards sin has to be satisfied. And note, notice what God does. Whom God put forward as a propitiation, and notice how He satisfies it. By the blood of Jesus. It's to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Why? Listen, this is where it connects back to our previous text. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, look what it it says here, He had passed over former sins. Sins like David's when He comes clean before the Lord. And this is why God... Nathan said to David, God has put away your sin. Here's why. Because He is going to put it away. And he is going to put it forward onto Jesus. So now when you see Jesus dying on the cross, you see him dying for David the luster. You see him dying for David the adulterer. 
You see Him dying on the cross as if He was David the murderer. So you must see and hear and know that forgiveness is available to all of us by the grace and mercy, by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the hope of the Gospel. That's why it's good news, beloved. Today, would you repent and believe that you might be forgiven of every sin and stain? It's the hope of the Gospel. You're wondering today, how much could God cleanse and transform me with my struggles of lust or pornography? Others of you think that your life is ruined because of an affair or a divorce that led to committing adultery. Listen, I want you to know there's hope. Out of this, David and Bathsheba, God raised up a son by the name of Solomon. And Solomon had a son who had a son who had a son that ultimately his name was Jesus. God brought Jesus out of a sexual relationship that began as an affair and led to murder. And you think He can't redeem you? You think what you've done is too much? You don't know the greatness of God. His forgiveness. You, know, you must come and dwell to the cross and look to see Christ dying in your place. Oh, the wonderful Savior. Beloved, that's why 10,000 years from 10,000 years we'll still be singing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. The saved a wretch like Blake Jesse. Praise the name of God because Jesus' death and resurrection, there is hope no matter how bad you and I have messed up. And again, this doesn't mean that God's excused our sin, beloved. There's just one that can satisfy that payment and His name is Jesus. Listen, not only as you repent and believe are you forgiven, but listen, beloved, you become a new creation. God sends forth His Spirit inside of you. And I want you to know that Galatians 5 and 16 says that if we walk by the Spirit, we'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's the power of God's Spirit, not only to forgive you, beloved, of what you have done and what I have done. It's the power of the Spirit that will strengthen you to resist the sinful look, to turn away from that person that isn't your spouse. So listen, maybe in closing today, we just would deal with maybe just a couple questions. One is this. Is this call to purity, this level, this call to purity, is it really possible? If so, how? Is this call to purity really possible? If so, how? Listen to what Jesus says again back here in Matthew 5. After he talks about, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Listen to what Jesus says. If your right eye causes you to sin, look what we're going to do. Tear it out and throw it away. Further, verse 30. And if your right hand, so again, we have the right eye, right? Now we have the right hand. Again, the eye is often what, what begins with this issue of lust and adultery, right? It begins there is what we see. The hand's often what we reach to touch, right? And if your right hand causes you to sin, that's what he says here. Cut it off and throw it away. God is dealing drastically with sin, right? If this call to, is this call to purity really possible? If so, how? God's saying, listen, we've got to deal drastically with our sin, beloved. Maybe you're here today and you just say, listen, Blake, I'm struggling with, with, with pornography or just lust. What can I do? Maybe just some practical things. First, I would say to you this, first and most important, fast and pray. If you'd have come to me seven, eight years ago, uh, we would have probably sat down and, and had a discussion about getting filters on your, on your tablet or, or your phone or on your computer. And listen, it's not that those aren't needed, but I want you to know that guess what? I found ways around those and you probably have too. 
I mean, listen, guys, ultimately we're dealing with the heart. And so here's what I want you to know. At the end of the day, lust, this desire for these things, these images that are not what God's intended for us, man, it's ultimately a heart issue. And the only way for the heart to be transformed is the work of the Spirit of God to do it. So I want to compel you, first and foremost, that you would fast and pray. Bring along another godly person or two. Maybe it's here in church leadership. Maybe it's, again, we'll maybe talk about that just more in a moment. But listen, I want to encourage you. Find some other folks that will fast, will pray with you. Secondly, listen, accountability. Realize you can't do it alone. Every Monday morning, Brother Todd and I, we intend to just have a simple question of, how, how you doing with purity? How's it been? We just, that moment of accountability, we know what's coming for our lives. It just helps hold both of us accountable. Some of you, listen, this message today is hard because you're a young person. You realize, man, there's some stuff in your life. I, I, listen, I'm going to challenge you. It's going to be time to have a conversation with mom and dad or, or whoever the, the, the leadership is in your home. Own up to it. Some of you, it, this is going to be even more difficult. It, it may need to happen in conjunction with church leadership, but... You need to get honest with your spouse. You need to come clean. Maybe you guys could contact somebody again in your Sunday school class or a small group. James says, don't just hear the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I mean, are you going to act on this today? So not only fast and pray, not only do you need accountability, I'm going to say, guys, do what Jesus says. Throw it away. Throw it away. This won't easy, be easy, but again, I mean, we're going to see in a moment our soul's at risk. Listen, throwing it away, some of you means you've got to get the TV out of your bedroom. Some of you means the TV's got to get out of your house. The tablet's got to get away from you, right? I, I mean, I, listen, I, I want you to know how real this is about throwing it away, cutting things off. I have known couples that there has been temptation on the job site, and literally they've changed jobs because they realize the risk to their marriage. That's what Jesus is saying, cut it off. That's how drastic we must deal with our sin, beloved. Your marriage is worth it. I want to compel you today. Flee that other relationship. Flee sexual immorality. It's 1 Corinthians 6 tells us. So secondly, the second question is this. Not only is this call to purity really possible, if so, how? The second is this. Is this call to purity really necessary? If so, why? Like, dude, you may be making making too much of this. Listen to what Jesus says. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away for, why would we deal so drastically with sin? It is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Beloved, this is about your soul. This is about where you'll spend eternity. The consequences of me watering down this message of you or me ripping these pages out of our Bible, so to speak, doesn't cause it to go away. Jesus says that if you keep the course that you're on, you are going to end up in hell. I don't know anything of any graver danger, any greater magnitude that I could say this morning than the Son of God standing saying, if you don't deal drastically with your sin, you will go to hell. And listen, beloved, God loved you so much that He sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross for you. That you would not perish but have everlasting life. Come to the day of the Son. If the Son sets you free, beloved, you are free indeed. And yet some of you think giving up that phone is just too much. Beloved, it's going to cost you. you go to, you're going to go to hell with that phone in your pocket, so to speak. Cut it off. Get freedom. So, again, in light of marriage, maybe just uh, a practical thing. How do I stay in a difficult marriage? You know, let's just maybe just close with this. 
One of the things I heard another preacher advocate is, is stop believing the perfect person myth. There's no perfect person. You're a sinner. They're a sinner. And you give that relationship time, there's going to be problems. You think you'll be happy once you find that person, perfect person. But I want you to know today, they aren't out there. Everybody out there is a sinner. Marriage isn't designed to complete you or bring ultimate fulfillment to your life. No other person can shoulder that. Some of you are putting that on your spouse. They'll never be able to meet your needs perfectly. Why? Because only God can fulfill you. Marriage won't fix your emptiness. It won't fix all of your problems. Only Christ can do that. And when He fixes, when He satisfies and fulfills, then you begin to love your spouse with the grace and mercy that you yourself have received. Secondly, not only stop believing the perfect person myth, but be faithful to Christ. Remember that covenant that you made, right? Maybe in a place, a church like this, and, and you put a ring on someone's finger, and some of you are considering that one day soon, maybe. And you just say that little simple statement of, with this ring, right, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I thee wed. You made a commitment in the name, a covenant you made with the Holy God and with that other man, that woman, Right, despite how hard it may be at the moment, remember that you are ultimately submitting to Him. And you and God make the majority, as it's been said, in the relationship. Stay faithful to your covenant to Christ. Third, remember this, you, ex- you represent Christ and the church. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 that the husband represents Christ and the wife represents the church. When we don't remain faithful to our covenant with our spouse, we're sending a signal to our culture that God's love for them is somehow conditional. Again, I'm not trying to beat up on anybody that's that's struggled with this. I struggle with a lot of this text. I just want you to know that many of you, maybe you have a divorce in your past and now you're remarried. I'm calling you, beloved, to set the pace of what it looks like to love well, to remain faithful in that marriage that you're in. Fourth and last, get counseling. Man, throughout my wife and I, Emily, our our marriage, we've gone to counseling through different seasons. We found that marriage alongside ministry is this unbelievably dangerous concoction and i've got a lot of things in my life that are unhealthy and listen i'll just be honest with you i go to counseling because i've seen a lot of other men that i know are godly men when it comes to marriage they've swung and missed and i know that by the grace of god there go i beloved so i want to compel you man find some godly counsel in your life if you connect with our church we'll help get you connected guys to the hurting today There's a healer. His name is Jesus. To the hopeless today, there's hope. His name is Jesus. No matter how much you may have failed today, no, beloved, there is grace and mercy at the cross. Would you come to Christ? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Father God, for salvation. I pray for people to truly be born again, God. I pray that your spirit would do the work, God. Father, I pray right now for folks that are struggling, God. Instead of running, instead of tearing this message away, the truth of your word, God, I pray instead they would submit to it. I pray for marriages that are struggling right now, God. would Would you strengthen them to forgive? Would you strengthen them to get help? Would you strengthen them to hold fast to that covenant? Even though their spouse may not be worthy of their love today, God, the reality is we're never worthy of your love. Father, I pray. Father, would you strengthen maybe a teenage boy out there that is just struggling? Maybe a husband that his wife knows nothing about it. God, I pray that there would be some coming clean. I pray there would be getting freedom. Father, I pray that your hand will be upon our church. And Lord God, only by seeing Christ, I pray today that there would truly be the cutting off of sin in our lives. 
I pray it, oh God. Please, Lord, by the power of your spirit. I pray it in Jesus' name.